You're listening to the original Best Damn Titans podcast out there. Of course, it's Two-Tone Uncensored. I'm your host, Ryan Moreland. I want to apologize in advance. The changing of the weather, I'm a little bit sick, so you're probably going to hear it in my voice uh, this episode, so I'm sorry about that. But uh, we still have an episode to get to. We still have a lot to cover in the world of the Tennessee Titans, a lot of news, a lot of stuff to cover. First, happy belated Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope everybody had a great uh, Thanksgiving, great weekend coming out of it. Obviously, Titans get the win, so that's really nice. Let's just jump right into that. Titans beat the Colts for the first time since 2007 in Indianapolis. Big win. Even though they are a bad team this year, what it meant to us was big. Don't get that out of your mind. And and the fact that it was close, you know, I know that sucks and we had to come back to win. But it's still big what we accomplished here. You know, it's the first time we've won in a very long time in Indy. 20-16 your final score. So let's jump into things we didn't like. First one's a slow start. Every football game we are in... So far this season, we only play one half. You look at the Steelers game. We, at, the, at halftime, we were right right behind them. A very tight football game. And I was with my brother at the game. My brother, diehard Steelers fan. And I was like, I think you guys are in trouble. And we were looking at, you know, we out- outrushed them. We had more passing yards than them. We were moving the ball better. We had a better third down conversion rate. We were doing everything better. We just didn't have the points yet. And he even agreed. He's like, yeah, if we keep playing like this, I think Tennessee's going to win. Of course, then in the second half, we completely implode. That's the problem with the Tennessee Titans, is that we either play the first half of a football game, or like the entire first half of the season, we only play the second half of the football game. And, and, and you know, it's, it's an issue. We're not going to be able to do that when we face good teams. We're not, definitely not going to be able to do that in the playoffs. This is an issue that's plagued us all season long. It did a little bit last year, but there were some games that we played complete games. We haven't played one complete game all season long. You know, we're terrible at this. We we come out and we either play the first half or the second half, take your choice, but we're not going to play a full football game at the level that we should be playing. You know, it's been a consistent issue, but, you know, we at least we did get the win. My second issue with this game is Marcus throwing the two interceptions. Now, one is excusable. The one where Taylor Taylor slipped up, I've heard some people say it was like triple coverage. Like, if that's triple coverage, then every player ever has been triple covered. There was one guy that was a step and a half behind him, or, you know, a step behind him, and then the safety over the top. I have faith that Taewon Taylor at least makes a good enough play on that ball that it's uncatchable. You know, that that's what I, I think. You know, most likely he catches that football. Um, and, you know, I've had problems in the past with Taewon Taylor because he doesn't catch those 50-50 balls. He doesn't have solid hands. This is one problem. His one issue. But, you know, at least it's not going to be an interception. The other one was a complete overthrow over Harry Douglas's head. We've seen him do that a lot this year. Marcus, and I'll talk on it later because I'm going to, to get into things that we need to fix for next season, but Marcus has had a, an issue gunning balls in the in the areas at some points in games. Now, we also saw him throw a pass into what is most likely would be considered quadruple coverage um, with Delaney Walker, at least triple coverage, and it was a perfectly thrown ball, but that had a lot of air on it. You see these problems when he's trying to throw these frozen ropes, these darts. Um, that's when Marcus has these issues. You know, he's not... We're not seeing the strength that we should, so I had a problem with that, although... Marcus is still a really good quarterback. Don't get down on him because he's had a couple bad games. But it is an issue that needs to be fixed if we're going to be a true contender. In this game, off of those two interceptions, uh, the Colts got 10 points. So that is, 
you know, the majority of the points they scored in this football game. As I said earlier, they lost 20-16, to 16, so it's six points that our defense gave up. So let's move on to things we like with a perfect segue there, uh, paddle my own back. <laughs> but the, one of the things that I did like is our defense really did their part. Six out of ten drives that the Colts had, six out of ten, 60 percent, were five plays or less. The Colts only scored six points that didn't come off a turnover, as I just said. They they played a standout game from start to finish. And as I said earlier with we only play a half, that only pertains to the offense. There's been plenty of games where our defense played an entire football game. Uh, you know, you look at Seattle, you look with the Jaguars. Like Those games, our defense stood up and played the entire game. There's only a few games that you can point to, like the, the Steelers game is one, where our defense did not step up and play the way they should have. Uh, the entire game. Our offense doesn't show up and play an entire game. So I want to make that clear. But but they played absolutely fantastic in this matchup. Another thing I really liked, obviously our first win over the Colts in Indy since 2007, as I mentioned. But Derrick Henry, late in this football game, he took over. In that last drive, the last scoring drive that won the game for us, he accounted for 52 of the 77 yards on the game-winning drive. And then they get down to the red zone. I've seen a lot of people talk about this, obviously. It's a, it's a big thing that people have been talking about. But we get down to like the two-yard line, and we hand it off to Murray to punch it in. It was like, ah, come on, man. Give it to Henry. He deserved it. He, he was the workhorse on that drive. He came up very big when we needed him, and, and that was a big difference in this game was his play late in that football game. It was what gave us the lead and put us up and got us this win. Also, our perseverance. We were down by 10 with two minutes left in the third. You know, that most games in that situation, the team that's leading is going to win. In uh, this one, we came back and we won. And, it, you know, it wasn't a pretty game for us. It wasn't the best showing of the Tennessee Titans for sure. But we came back and we won. We handled business and we won. And, you know, all wins count the same no matter if they're pretty or not. It, it does worry you a little bit. Uh, but... We get the win, we improve, and then, you know, we have some good news coming from the rest of the AFC South this week. So, uh, you know, that obviously played a huge part in the playoff picture, and we'll get to that in just a second. But those are the things I liked. We played well on defense. Derrick Henry stepped up late in that game. You know, we did a lot of things that I like, that I, that I think will, um, it, you know, something to build off of. We just need... To limit turnovers, you know, get Marcus back in that comfort level, and we really need to start playing football from the first whistle until the last whistle on offense. We need to start, um, and that and that's everybody. That's Marcus. That's our running backs. That's our offensive line to some extent. Um, our wide receivers. You know, I've noticed a lot of lackadaisical play. I'll say um, from, from some of our wide receivers, most notably Corey Davis. And I'll touch on that later, but, you know, I, I noticed that, you know, it's it's the entire offense, like I said. It is the entire offense. It's play calling, it's Marcus, it's the running backs, it's the receivers. The offensive line is who I blame the least, uh, but they still, have, uh, you know, deserve their fair share of blame, especially in this game. You know, there were a lot of plays where Marcus and Murray didn't have an option of, of turning it into yards because they were getting hit in the backfield. You know, very rarely does a running back get hit in the backfield and still get a solid gain out of it. You know, that's that's just not going to happen most of the time. Um, that's why those plays are like huge highlights that we remember forever. So everybody needs to step their game up and play a full 60 minutes. Let's head into the AFC South recap. Let's start off with the best news. Jacksonville, you know, the Jags just got a jag. Losing to Arizona 24-27. 
Bortles was the only runner that was effective on this offense for the Jacksonville. In fact, his long, which was 28 yards, was more yards than any other rusher had on his team total. That's just crazy. That, that, that's insane. He was the only runner on this team that had any success at all in this game. Uh, you know, then proof again, I've said it a million times on the show, proof again that if you stop the running game in Jacksonville, you have a very good chance to win. Even if you don't have the best offense, even if you're not the best defense, if you stop that run, you have a very real chance of beating this team. We saw it last week, um, you know, when the Chargers almost beat them and pulled off the upset. We saw it this week when Arizona actually did pull off the upset. And that's the thing with the Jags, and it's going to be that way until they get a real quarterback. When they do not run the ball well, they are not going to win football games. It is as simple as that. They are not going to win football games when that running game's not working. We saw it in this game. Also, Bortles was far outplayed by Blaine Gabbert. Gabbert had a, a somewhat decent season last year, a very bad um, San Francisco team. And, you know, this game, he showed, you know, he, he played pretty well against a very good defense. He's putting up some good stats since he's become the starter um, in Arizona. This is a guy that, uh, you know, I'm low-key looking at as someone for the future as a backup for Marcus. I don't think it's a bad call at all. Gabbard has been, you know, probably the best of those mediocre bounce-around quarterbacks in the league. He's, he's been somewhat impressive. He can come in games and he can win you games. You know, he's playing against one of the best defenses in the league, and, and he played well, you know, and he played well with an offense that, you know, they do have weapons at, at, on, um, at wide receiver. They're depleted at running back, but they have, you know, not that good of a team. The offensive line's not playing that well. The defense isn't what it used to be. And he pulled off a win because he played very well. So if this team was looking at free agency to find, you know, Matt Castle's eventual replacement, I, I think that going to Blaine Gabbert might not be a bad idea. Um, but obviously Jacksonville will go on this week to host the Indianapolis Colts. You know, this week showed that they have a much better rush defense than they did earlier in the season. They could give Jacksonville some headaches, so definitely a game to be watching out for this weekend. Moving on now, we had Houston take on Baltimore on Monday night. Houston started this game pretty well, and it looked like they might you know, pull off an upset here, uh, but then the turnovers started happening. Houston had three turnovers, including two picks thrown by Tom Savage. And that really hurt them. You know, the one at the end of the game sealed the game. The other two, both, other two turnovers, both led the points. Um, this, this is a team that's going to struggle without, you know, Deshaun Watson in there without a real quarterback. They're going to struggle, especially on defense now that, you know, they've lost so much. I feel like we talk about it every week, but they've lost a lot on defense. Obviously, Houston goes on to lose this game 23-16. to I mean, they're completely out of it. We knew as soon as Deshaun Watson went down that this team was going to be out of it. But, you know, obviously we've all been proven right because they're out of it. You know, it's over. It's definitely just Jacksonville and Tennessee, uh, you know, fighting for this division title. I don't think a lot of people thought it was going to end up looking like this. Um, you know, but it has. This is where we're at right now. Houston will obviously go on to come to Nashville next week to take on the Titans, which I'll talk about at the end of this show. Now I want to get into something a little bit different. I, you know, I alluded to it earlier. Issues I have with this team. This is something that I've thought about for a while, and it's, it's stuff that you know I, I think we need to address. The first one, Marcus should have put on weight in the offseason. This is something we talked about at the beginning of the year, and I don't know if everyone remembers, so I'll refresh your minds if you don't. Going into the offseason, the team wanted Marcus to gain weight. You know, put on an extra, uh, I think 15 pounds is what it was. 
Instead, him and his trainer decided it was a better idea for him to lose weight. That way he'd be faster, uh, eliminating possible chances of him getting injured because he'd be fast enough to get out of bounds or get to the ground, you know, faster than his competitor. That was their idea. We're seeing, though, that Marcus cannot throw these passes with fire. You know, when you have to zip the ball in there, Marcus is not doing that. That Pittsburgh game threw those four interceptions, and I know everybody said about how windy it was. I was in that stadium. It was not that windy. And I know it's more windy on the field, especially because you have, you know, open ends at that Heinz field on the south and north end zone. Everything else, you know, when you're sitting in the stands, you really don't feel that breeze. But I was down near the field. I took the gateway clipper to and from the game where you're literally right on the water with no nothing stopping the wind. It was not that windy in that game. Marcus was throwing lame ducks because Marcus is not stepping in the throws and firing it because he doesn't have that body weight to fire a football the way he should. Marcus needs to gain weight this offseason. It, it needs to happen. Even if it does slow him down a little bit, he can still get down. He can still get out of bounds. What I'm more worried about, one, is taking those hits, having the extra weight is going to help. Like, that's obvious. Like, I think the, you know, we can run away idea was not a good one. We still saw Marcus get injured and miss games this year. You know, we lost that Miami game only because Marcus was not there. That's the first thing. But the second thing, obviously, is when you have that extra weight, you can step in and fire more power into those throws. We need that. We need Marcus to be able to do that. This is his, like, right now, worst statistical season since he's come to Tennessee. He's not playing well right now. Right now, Marcus is throwing his best completion percentage, to be fair, but he has nine touchdowns to 12 interceptions. He is on pace to throw 12 touchdowns and 17, sorry, 17 interceptions this season. His rookie year, he went 19-10. and 10. Last year, 26-9. and 9. So this is by far his worst. He's going to have the least amount of touchdowns, unless something, you know, some spark sets off. He's going to have his least amount of touchdowns he's ever had. And he's going to have the most interceptions he's ever had since joining the NFL. That's not good. You know, it's it's not the performance that we expected to see from Marcus this year. And I think a lot of it has to do with this weight. He needs to get his weight up so he has the power to sling those balls in quicker. How many times have you seen an interception this year that you thought, man, if I had a little bit more zip on it, if it would have got there like a half second earlier, you know, if it would have been just a little faster, it would have been a completion. But it was an incompletion or an interception. That has been like every interception Marcus has thrown has either been a bad overthrow because he's throwing off that back foot, which is another issue I'll get into, or because he doesn't zip it in there hard enough. You know, that has been most of his interceptions. The other thing, and now I'll talk about this, is the back foot. He has been leaning back on throws. This is a confidence thing, and he has to get that back. He has to get that confidence in that, but he has to get a rhythm going. You have to get a rhythm going to get that confidence back. You have to have something to build off of. But he needs to get that confidence back where you step into the pocket and fire rather than throwing off the back foot. Because you throw off the back foot because there's pressure in your face. Or you're afraid that there's going to be a pressure in your face. You need to step up in the pocket and fire those balls out. I think Marcus will get past this. I don't think this is something we'll be talking about for years to come. But it is something that is affecting him right now. And it needs to be solved. You know, And, and we'll have a little bit, I have like a little bit of something different coming up later in this show where I sat down with a, a Titans writer, and me and him talk about um, why Marcus isn't achieving the level of success that he should be, and, and we'll get into more into that later, um, an interesting subject for sure. But the next thing on my list that I have an issue with is how ineffective DeMarco Murray has been. 
I said this on, I believe, the last episode. We are throwing a lot more of these um, shotgun plays where he's running out of the shotgun. We know that DeMarco Murray has success when he is a single setback and he has a lot of time to look at the line, get prepared, and run at the line. We're not doing that enough. So I blame half of it on play calling, at least. At least half of it. But I think some of it is on DeMarco Murray. We saw him, you know, gimped up earlier in the year. I don't think he's ever been 100% healthy this season. And you can see it in his running style. Mark, or, sorry, DeMarco Murray doesn't charge into defenders. He doesn't run down the field hard. He He pulls up. You can see him run, take those first two steps hard, and then he gets to the line or he gets to where contact's going to be and he pulls up a little bit. I think that injury's lingering in the back of his mind, that he doesn't want to get hurt again. It's becoming an issue. On the inverse of that, Derrick Henry's having a pretty solid season. You know, 4.5 yards per carry, I believe he's at right now. He, or 4.4, uh, sorry, 4.4 yards per carry. He's been playing pretty solid football and he's, he's come up big in games, both games against the Colts. He's come up very big for us. This week, I asked the question on our Twitter page, at TTU Podcast on Twitter, do you think it's time for Henry to start over DeMarco Murray? 81% voted that, yes, it is time for Henry to start over Murray. I mean, 81%. That's not, like, close. That's not, like, oh, 50-50, we're thinking about it. That is, most people want to see Derrick Henry start at this point, which I think even at the beginning of the year, there were people calling for it, even before the season started. Anytime DeMarco Murray's had a bad game, more people called for it. You know, I've been completely against it because I thought, you know, DeMarco Murray's going to come back. He's a one bad game. It's not time to start Henry yet. But now I am on the bandwagon. It's time to start Henry. I think it's time to start Henry and let Murray get to 100%, let him get back healthy, and then when he gets back healthy, use play calling that effectively utilizes the talent that you have at DeMarco Murray. We've seen that Henry can be successful coming out of the shotgun and running those plays. Murray likes to see his field of vision. He likes to get set and see everything from that backfield. And then while he's running to the line, he's still looking, seeing where the holes are opening, seeing where everybody's at. It's because he has that one-cut mentality. Those running backs like to see where the hole is going to be, like to see where you know the best possible angles are. When you come out of that shotgun, the first thing is you have to turn towards the quarterback. Your eyes are not downfield. You're completely looking at the sideline. Then you got to turn, and now you're looking. So you lose you know a second and a half there where you could be figuring out the hole that you're going to go to, and now you're not. DeMarco Murray's that kind of beast. He's that kind of running back. He has to be able to see where he's going, to see where these holes are going to open up. So fix the play calling one, but let him get 100% healthy because you can see him pull up when he meets defenders rather than the hard-charging, you know, hard-nosed running back that we're all used to here in Tennessee with DeMarco Murray. So I think it's going to be um, Henry. I think it needs to be Henry's start now, at least for a while, at least until we can get him healthy, and then get him healthy for the playoff run. The last thing that bothers me, and it's still on the offense, because as I said earlier, I think the defense is playing fantastic. The last issue I have is Corey Davis. We're not seeing him get separation. This was an issue that I brought up before we drafted him. It's something that I saw. You know, I go to Ohio University right now in the MAC with Western Michigan. I got to see him play twice during his senior year, like live in action. And I noticed that, you know, a lot of the separation he was getting was because of pretty poor cornerback play. There's not a lot of, there's no, like, let's be honest, there was no good corners in the MAC at the time. You know, there really wasn't. So he was getting separation against weaker teams. 
we're seeing him struggle to get separation. Cody Sensabaugh, like, I mean, we have to admit it, folks. Cody Sensabaugh owned Corey Davis in that game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we know that Cody Sensabaugh's average. Like, we know that. We, we know that he's not going to be any better than average. You need to be able to get the separation, and it's something that Corey Davis has been struggling with. You know, it's they love throwing that comeback route to him, but it's becoming an issue now where it's it's either early enough that it confuses him, then we know the ball when the ball gets there, or it's a little bit later and the he's not getting out of his cut fast enough where the defender is able to get back and make the play on the ball. He needs to be able to get separation at this level, and it's something that he is struggling with right now. I was afraid of this when we drafted him. It was the one reason that I wasn't big on drafting Corey Davis at the beginning of the year, and I kept telling people this. He struggles to get out, struggles to get separation when he plays good corners, and he hasn't really gotten to play a lot in college and a lot of good corners, and now we're seeing this in action. We're seeing him now having this issue. It's something he's going to have to work on throughout the offseason. I don't think there's any way to fix it mid-season. You can give him some tips and stuff and you know where to plant that foot, how fast you need to be coming out of it. But really, you're not going to make any big changes until the offseason. So it's something that I want him to work on hard during the offseason. Getting separation. Getting your timing with Marcus better. Because if your timing's perfect, you only need a little bit of separation. And you're going to catch that football and it's going to be a gain. If your timing is a little off, which it has been, and it's going to be, you know, Marcus missed a big chunk of preseason. Corey Davis missed a big chunk of the season. You know, you're going to have that time. Uh, that timing's not going to be there because you haven't had the chemistry built yet. But once that timing's better, that's obviously going to help him out a lot because when the ball's there at the perfect time, right when he's out of that cut, and, and you know, it's then your your separation doesn't need to be very impressive in order to make a catch there. It just doesn't. You're, you know, if you're throwing it at the perfect time to that wide receiver, you don't need to get a lot of separation in order to get a completion. But, it, you know, it's something that they're going to have to work on together, and Corey Davis is going to have to work on just getting separation by himself during the offseason. And, and it's something that I hope he really focuses on because it is the one weakness in his game. He's a monster. He's big. He has decent speed. He has great hands. He, you know, he has all the other skill sets. He's just not getting separation. He's not fast out of his cuts. And, you know, he took advantage of poor secondaries in college. You're not going to face anybody in the NFL that is not an NFL-quality corner. You know, you're just not. That's not how it works. Everybody that you're going to play against is at least NFL-quality. And, you know, or better. You know, you're going to have to face Jalen Ramsey every single year, twice a year. You're going to have to face... You know, decent corners every year and like really good corners every now and again. So you need to be able to get separation against them. Definitely one big issue that I have with Corey Davis. But now I want to play something for you and I will give you a little uh, teaser here. I had Cody Milholland, who's a big Titans fan and a writer uh, at the the All Out Sports Network where I also write. Uh, He came on because he came up with this really neat idea, I thought. So I'm going to bring that on, but I will give you this uh, little disclaimer. We recorded this last week before the Indy game. So all of our references are kind of from the Pittsburgh game or from games before that. So just in case you picked up on that, just want to let you know, we did record this before the Indianapolis game. Uh, but here's Cody Milholland and some of his thoughts of how what we can do uh, to improve this team. All right, we're going to do something a little bit different now. I'm sitting here with a fellow writer for All Out Sports Network, uh, and the guy that owns and operates the Blitz Report on YouTube, Cody Milholland. How you doing, Cody? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. And glad to have you on. The Earlier this week, Cody 
sent me a message talking about a pretty interesting subject, and I was like, hey, would you want to come on the show and talk about that? Because I think you're on to something here. So, Cody, I'll let you, uh, you know, tell the headline of it, because I don't want to steal your thunder here, but I think you, you're on to something with this. All right, thanks, man. I was thinking, I was watching, after the game, I can't remember if it was Cincinnati or Baltimore, Mike Malarkey's press conference, and he said something to the extent of he didn't want to mess Marcus Mariota up. And at first I'm thinking, you know, that's a that's a good thing. You don't want to have your franchise quarterback, young quarterback at that, doing stuff that he's not comfortable doing. But then later on I got to thinking, well, if he doesn't want to mess Marcus Mariota up, he's not able to coach him and help him at the same time. And then I got to thinking, well, there's not nobody on this coaching staff that can really help him move on because or not that I know of at least I don't know of anybody that's got former experience or has really done anything notable in the league and then I got to thinking how important Matt Castle is because nobody wants to see him on the field but in the classroom in the on the practice field on the sidelines he's really basically Marcus is Mariota's quarterback coach to an extent it's kind of how I started thinking about it and I started to think you know nobody wants to see Matt Castle on the field but he's very important to the team in that regard no, you're 100% right, and and like you said when we were talking, your offensive coordinator is a wide receivers coach. You know that he doesn't come from a, a quarterback background. You know, you even look into their quarterbacks coach, Jason Michaels, and he did play quarterback at Western Kentucky. Jack Harbaugh was his coach. You know, the father of uh, John and Jim Harbaugh, but he wasn't. He's never played in the league. He, you know, he never made it to like that level. You're in your so you don't have a guy really that has NFL experience that's helping Marcus outside of Matt Castle. So you do you make a very strong argument when you think about it this way for the reason that we keep Matt Castle on this roster. That's right. Matt Castle doesn't have the talent level Marcus Mariota has, but what he does have is he has experience. He's played in multiple systems. He's been around for a long time and he's seen everything more than once. And that could be a really good thing for Marcus Mariota to really improve his game is because he's getting someone in his ear telling him what he's seen before, and Marcus will eventually see that in his career if he hasn't already. Yeah, Matt Castle didn't come out as, as a first-round pick either, but Matt Castle was a young quarterback that, you know, he, when he took over um, for an injured Tom Brady, he looked great. Then he went for big money. Uh, to Kansas City, and he had very high expectations. He knows what it means to be a young quarterback with very high expectations, you know, from a fan base, from the league as a whole, and, you know, how to to manage that success and also, you know, keep, you know, the negative side off of you, off of you which obviously is going to play a big role this week in a game where Marcus had the worst game of his career, um, you know, against the Steelers. How do you come back from that? How do you... Because Russ, you know, I mean, you're talking about Jason Michaels can't tell you that. He can tell you maybe he had a bad game at Western Kentucky, but, you know, how many fans does Western Kentucky have? How many people was in that stadium? How many people are you going to boo you when you make a bad mistake? That stuff, you know, he never played at that level. Matt Castle's had stadiums full of people booing him because he didn't perform well. How do you come back from that? <clears throat> what mentality does that take? How do you be... Uh, you know, how do you come back from it, the adversity like that? Like, Matt Castle's done all of that stuff. Matt Castle's done all of the things in a league that Marcus is going to do. You know, so he is he is not only on the field, but off the field. And dealing with the off-the-field stuff, Matt Castle is going to be the only guy that can help Marcus. 
That's right. And Marcus is not the only talented quarterback to ever have a bad game like this. I can remember Peyton Manning having a six-interception game at one point. And, of course, other quarterbacks talented as well. I'm sure there's more than just Peyton Manning. But other quarterbacks have also had really bad games. So it's not the end-all, be-all just yet. But Matt Castle is definitely going to play a big factor in him bouncing back from this game. Oh, absolutely. There's not a quarterback that's ever played in the league that hasn't had a bad game. I mean, everybody's done it. Always had horrendous games. Marino's had terrible games. Every quarterback has had bad games. Um, but, you know, I think a big difference between the the greats and, you know, maybe the goods is that ability to come back from those bad games with great performances uh, and not have it hang over you. And that's something that, you know, maybe Matt Castle hasn't done, been the best at throughout his career, but he knows – you know what you where you have to be at mentally, what that takes, and and all of the stuff you know on and off the field. And you you brought up a great point when you first said something about keeping Matt Castle. I was like, all right, you know, Cody started smoking crack. <laughs> we we got to get this guy checked out. But then you bring up the argument for it, and you're like, man, he's got an excellent point here. I mean, he's got an excellent point. You need to have a guy that can do that with Marcus. I can tell him how to battle through the adversity and stuff like that, but also the on the field stuff. How to get the system down perfect? You know what? How to rely on your targets? How to throw up a ball and rely on, you know, your guys to come down with it? I think is one of Marcus's weaker points of his game is just throwing it up to a wide receiver that's covered that has the ability to make the play on the ball. But it's something he's going to be able to have to be able to do if Corey Davis keeps growing the way we think he will. You know, he's eventually he's going to be a guy where that is one of the keys that he can do in the red zone is snag that ball. We know that Eric Decker can do it, but Marcus, I think, has a problem trusting the wide receiver to go up and make that play. Marcus likes throwing to open receivers, not throwing to a wide receiver that has to make himself open, something that Matt Castle is actually pretty good at. That's right. Unless it's Delaney Walker, he could be triple covered. I remember seeing a game, I think it was the Browns. It might not have been, but I think it was the Browns who threw a ball to Delaney Walker in triple coverage. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. Delaney Walker's a whole different animal, though. <laughs> I mean, that guy's yeah, just, yeah, that's just true. the talent level there. And, um, you know, and, and Marcus has had Delaney the entire time he's been there, unlike, you know, we're talking about Corey Davis and Eric Decker. You have to build that trust. Delaney Walker's earned it, you know, and, and Corey Davis hasn't yet. He hasn't been on the field enough, and he's made some mistakes, you know, in his time on the field, which a rookie's going to do. You know, I'm not coming down on Corey Davis, but – you you have to earn that trust, and Corey David hasn't done it yet, and Eric Decker hasn't done it yet with Marcus Mardota. But you know, if if, Derek, if Decker stays here long enough, he will. Corey Davis will, you know, um, build that trust. That's true. It's a chemistry level as well. And really, I just wanted to put the, throw this out there real quick: is um, Matt Castle? I think he's starting to feel some of the heat from the fans, and it's I've come to you with this because you got a platform and you can reach people. And I thought it was something that more people should think about because after the Dolphins game, and I know we lost that game and that probably played a factor into it too, but the reporters were asking him about retirement and how his arm's doing, if he still got arm strength, and he kind of took offense to that. So I think he's starting to feel some of the heat from the fans. So I just wanted to give them a different perspective to kind of think about. No, I mean, that's a great point too. And, I mean, you can only take so much of it. Um Obviously, and you, at Matt Castle's at that point too, where you're gonna you're gonna say, you know, is this my legacy? Is this it? You know, you know, his career is coming to the downwards, you know, end. It's coming to an end here soon. 
whether it's this year, whether it's the next couple of years, you know, Matt Castle doesn't have a lot of shelf life left. So you start to worry about what's my legacy that I left behind because every guy wants to be Joe Montana. Every guy that comes in the league wants to be Tom Brady. No one wants to be, you know, the Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, no one wants to be the guy that was, uh, you know, okay over an entire career was average. If you average everything out, I know, you know, Fitzpatrick has been down lately and everybody hates him now, but he has had parts of his career where he soared. So if you combine it all together, Matt Castle's had an average career as a quarterback. He's going to be one of those guys that in 10 years, someone says his name and you're like, oh, yeah, shit, I forgot about that guy. Everybody wants to be the guy that's remembered. Everybody wants to be, like I said, Joe Montana, Tom Brady. And, you know, Matt Castle's realizing now, I think that, you know, that's not going to happen. You're not going to be that guy. So that's going to weigh heavy on you. But I was going to ask you this. Because of, you know, keeping Matt Castle, obviously, you're making a strong case for but you also want somebody on this team that can be better in the system, that you know that's better fitted for the system, um, and can you know get. When we when we lose Marcus, we don't automatically lose every football game we play. You know, you want someone that can win football games. Um, how would you feel personally about Matt Castle coming on as a quarterbacks coach? for this team after a retirement? <laughs> Man, I was just about to ask you that exact same question. Um, I would be okay with it. Uh, back when he first got, first, we first signed him, it seems like I remember somewhere where I seen, where he was talking to reporters, Amy Wells, I believe it was, and she asked him about what his life is going to be after football. And it seems like he said something to the extent of he's thought about coaching, he's considering it and uh, being a quarterback coach and, uh, I would definitely be okay with it. I think he's probably better than what we got because of given his game experience, what he's been around, what he's done. So um, I think he, he he deserves a shot at least. Well, you look at it too. You know, it's an it's an old saying, it's an old cliche that's been bounced around, but it, it almost perfectly fits. And it's not just football, but and basketball and, and hockey as well. Great players don't make great coaches. Average players make great coaches. Like you know, like. Pat Riley was not a great player when he played basketball. He was an average player, but he was a great coach, fantastic coach, one of the best ever. You got to find guys um, like that. That you know that that those guys always make great coaches. The guys that were okay players, that were average players. And I honestly think that day one, Matt Castle would be an upgrade over uh, Jason Michaels. I haven't been a fan of his. You know, he's like the one leftover um, from the. Uh, uh, Wisenhunt days, yeah, and that's that obviously left a bad taste in Tennessee Titans fans' mouths. But he's a guy that has no experience in the league. He played a small time ball, and he did it well. You know, I believe he won a championship, Division Two championship, at, at Western Kentucky. But he played small time ball. He's never been in that spot. And there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot that comes with being an NFL quarterback. And uh, you know, it's not, oh, it doesn't all come on the field. In fact, the majority of it. I think is dealing with the stuff off the field, you know, making sure your body's ready to go, making sure your mind's ready to go. Matt Castle can help with that stuff. Jason Michaels doesn't know that shit. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very very true. There, definitely agree with you on that. 
So I, I would be very open to bringing him in as a quarterback's coach. You know, it's a guy that's already built a relationship with Mariota. And you know, you know, he knows the system. You know, he knows how to communicate the system to Marcus. You know, you know, he knows all of the stuff that you want your quarterback's coach to know. And I think it would be an upgrade. But Yeah, and plus he can communicate better to Mariota about defenses and stuff, what he's seeing. And I feel like they would have better communications on the sideline on what one sees and what the other sees and that type of thing. Because Matt Castle has played against these defenses enough that he should know. You there? Yeah, I'm here, sorry. <laughs> yeah, oh. you're you're absolutely right. Um, you know, Matt Castle has seen, and, and, you know, like we go back to Jason Michaels, he's never seen NFL de- defenses before. He's never seen, um, like, that kind of complexity, especially in current-day NFL defenses. You know, with all the rule changes that make it so easy for the offense to move the ball, defensive coordinators have to be very smart and crafty. You have to take two steps ahead of the offense if you want to have a successful defense in this league. So defenses have gotten very crafty. You know, you never know who's coming in on a blitz. They, everybody uh, throws extra players on the line nowadays. You know, it, it, so it's you have to be able to pick those guys out. You know, and it's something we've seen Marcus struggle with at times. Not all the time, but at times is picking out the guys. Matt Castle can help you with that, can help him get to the point where he makes those pre-snap reads better, where he's he's doing stuff uh, to make him a more successful quarterback. You see the greats in, in this era do that. You see Tom Brady p- pick out those blitzes. You see Aaron Rodgers pick out those blitzes. You know, the greats do that. The greats know the game that well. Marcus, to get to that point, is going to have to learn that stuff. I think Matt Castle can help him get there. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, and I just kind of thought of this just now. I think it would be smart for Marcus and Castle and even Decker to get together at at some point during the games or during the film study or whatever and talk about what they're seeing because Decker was signed because of his brains, because of how smart he is, because he's very good at reading defenses, and he says he picked up that from Peyton Manning, and that's kind of what they was looking for when they brought him on, somebody who could a second a second set of quarterback eyes on the field who can kind of see the open spots in the defense and that's something that he and Marcus and Castle should definitely talk about from time to time as well as the other receivers too but I feel like Decker has more experience and knows more about what he's seeing than what our other younger receivers would and that's something that they could help the younger receivers on as well you're absolutely right I mean he's Eric Decker was brought in to be the Matt Castle if you will of the wide receiving core um but let's segue this into the next point here because you bring this up, you know, we don't have coaches there that can help. You also brought up an interesting point here with, you know, we keep talking about wanting to be a smash-mouth team, but we have an offensive coordinator that's a wide receivers coach that likes to throw in trick plays. And and you think there's another guy uh, on this coaching staff that would be a lot better suited as an offensive coordinator. Yeah, of, co- of course. Terry Robisky is a wide receivers coach, and we see the trick plays, and that's fans' biggest problem with this guy is he just doesn't make smart play calling. I, I don't know if I've met a Tennessee Titans fan who likes Terry Robisky, and right under him as our offensive line coach, we have Russ Grimm, who's a Hall of Fame player, and he's even had uh, head coaching consideration for several different NFL teams, and he's just the offensive lines coach. 
Um, I think he would be great as an offensive coordinator. I don't have a problem with Malarkey. I feel like he's built a good system. He just doesn't have the tools under him to succeed. Uh, Put uh, Russ Grimm there, tough guy, who's also very smart, played quarterback in high school. Uh, He was the emergency quarterback in the NFL. Uh, I've seen interviews with people who used to play with him. They even talked about how he was smarter than a lot of quarterbacks on the team he played with. So I feel like that would be a good move at offensive coordinator. Right, you know, Rubisky did play um, running back in the in the league, but he spent a, most of his coaching career being a wide receivers coach, and and he does he gets like too cute. Now I agree with you, Russ Grimm. You know, I was just talking about how great players normally don't make great coaches. The one exception of that seems to be um, offensive line. You know, because you do see Russ Grimm was an excellent player. You know, top class player um, that is an excellent. Uh, coach, we we saw that as well. Maybe not, you know, at the the head coach level, obviously, but with um, oh shit, his name just escaped me. What he did? Oh, he was a, played on our offensive line. Him and Bruce Matthews played guard, coached for us. Uh, I don't think I know. <laughs> I don't remember no guy that go that went from guard to being our coach that I can think of. I hate it when that happens. That happens to me all the time. That's, that's uh, what the majority of my YouTube video editing right happens. <laughs> yeah, that's, I can see his face right now. And, I, you know, all I can think is Bruce Matthews because he was the other guard that played with Bruce Matthews. And he was our guard coach, and then he became our head coach for a short period of time. Mike Munchak? Yeah, Munchak. That's what I'm thinking of. I didn't know he played with Bruce, Bruce Matthews. I thought he was before that. Oh, no, yeah. they played. Well, he retired before Bruce did, but he played uh, alongside of him. But but Mike Munchak also, you know, he wasn't a great head coach for us by no means, but he was a great offensive line coach, continues to be a very good offensive line coach, and obviously was a top-tier player, you know, one of the best guards to ever play the game. Him and Bruce Matthews, probably the best guard duo to ever take snaps in the NFL. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, the, the offensive line coach seems to be the one difference, and Russ Grimm is a fantastic offensive line coach you look what he has done we went from one of the <clears throat> worst offensive lines in the league or, you know statistically the worst offensive line in the league to the best offensive line in the league in one year we did that I mean it's unbelievable what he's been able to do right now you have two guards that were both selected in the first or two tackles sorry that was selected in the first round but like everybody else, you know, your guard, you have Quentin Spain who went undrafted, who is having an All Pro like season. You know, you have these guys that and, and Russ Grimm's proven that he can do a great job there. I would love to see Russ Grimm. You brought this up, and I, I think it's a genius idea. I would love to see him as our, our offensive coordinator. Yeah, just because that's the type of system that Mike Malarkey wanted to build is a smash mouth, powerful football team. Uh, offensive line coach just feels to me like a better fit because they're they're more tough, nitty gritty guys who really want to pound you than more guys outside on the outside. Which those guys are important too. I don't mean to take anything away from them, but the guys on the inside that's where that's where the power comes from. That's where people get nitty gritty. That's where the most physicality takes place. So it just seems like a better feel to me. And then you could bring in somebody to be the offensive line coach, maybe a former player. You know, we've got plenty of those, Michael Roos, Bruce Matthews, who we just mentioned, Kevin Mawi, and certainly there's probably more, but that's just right off the top of my head. 
who could come in and be an offensive line coach or just really anybody working under Russ Grimm, even though he's an offensive coordinator, he can still get the job done on the offensive line as well, mainly just for the play calling and hard-nosed football that we want to play. I think he'd be better calling plays for that. No, absolutely. I think that, you know, I mean, you look at the, the Hogs, that that system that they ran, they had a lot of success running the football down the hill. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to start getting these backs downhill. I, I think it's been... You know, we see DeMarco Murray take a step back this year, but we've all seen, also seen DeMarco Murray play more of the style he did in Philadelphia than he did in Dallas. When he lines up behind Marcus, and Marcus takes a snap under center and runs forward, DeMarco Murray, is that's where he's going to be successful. When he lines up beside him and has to take those side handoffs, he's going to be less successful. He's a guy that likes to keep his eyes down the field and likes to have that, that look for him. Uh, is where he can find that hold the best and, and getting that running start, getting into that second level, is where Mark, or DeMarco Murray does his damage. And I think that's limited his game just as much as anything else has, even his health, is the fact that we're starting, we get cute, we like these, you know, run these like, you know, cute plays, these trick plays all the time. And it puts DeMarco Murray in a situation where he's not going to be as effective as a running back because that system doesn't tailor to him. Derrick Henry's from the same mold. He's cut from the same cloth. He needs to run the ball down the hill. You know, we need to get a guy that can set that up better. Well, there's a way to use Marcus in that system, and I know Marcus is better at his shotgun, but there's a way to use Marcus in that system and implement that. Right now, Terry Robisky's struggling to find it. I think Russell Grimm could be the guy that does find it. Yeah, I certainly agree, especially I really, really like the fact that I really want to hammer home with he used to play quarterback in high school, and he was emergency quarterback and emergency quarterback in the NFL. And former teammates of his have even said, publicly spoken, spoken that he was smarter than some of the quarterbacks on the rosters he played on. So uh, I just really want to hammer that home because I really feel like that would really help with the play calling. Absolutely, you know, and that helps out a lot, you know, because having that experience playing that position. But he is—I mean—he's a guy that. You talk to anybody that's played on that hog system, they all say the same thing. When they ask him who was the best lineman, they you know they all say Russ Grimm. They say who's the smartest lineman, they all say Russ Grimm. I mean, every single one of them does on that offensive line. One of the best offenses of line, offensive lines of all time. Um, I think it's an excellent idea. I'm not, you know, just like I think every Titans fan, uh, I'm not a fan of Terry Robisky. His, I think his play calling has limited how effective this offense can be. Um, just like I think, I don't mean I don't think I'm going to get any angry letters or hate mail for saying that. I think most Titans fans would 100% agree with me there. <laughs> right, you're exactly right. And the thing I want to say about Demarco Murray is he has been dealing with injuries at, uh, this year, but you're exactly right on how they're using him and how the system is just kind of different this year. Yeah, our record's better, and that's what everybody wants to point out. But we're not playing as good a football. Or it's just we're making too many mental errors and mental mistakes. So that's what really drives half the fans crazy. Half the fans don't care. They only care about the record. And half the fans are seeing that, yeah, we're, we got a better record, but our level of play has just gone down from last year to this year. It absolutely has. And, you know, it's, I think, I think he's done some good. Like Terry Rubisky throwing in the wrinkles that he has with Adore Jackson has been good. You know, he has started to switch to more of the pass to set up the run, although he hasn't been very effective in it. He he does implement it, which I think is a good idea, but there's too much going wrong. You know, you have 
an elite-level offensive line. You have a young quarterback that shows a, tons of promise. You have two big backs. You you finally have a talented wide receiver core. You know, there's not a real weakness on this. I mean, you even look at the fullback. As little as we use them, we have one of the best fullbacks in the league. We need to be able to be more successful than we are right now. If you have all that talent out there on the field and you're not getting it done, it's play calling. You have to look back at play calling, and and it's definitely Terry Robisky has really hindered how effective this offense can and should be. That's right. I feel like running out of the pistol, just one more quick note here, I think running out of the pistol would be a a good uh, balance, I guess you could say, for the running back and Marcus. He's more comfortable standing in the shotgun. He's not quite as far back as in the shotgun, but he still has a chance to kind of look and survey the field from that position. And the running back still gets to start, gets a running start before he hits the line of scrimmage. But you can also factor in uh, a Dory Jackson in that if you want to do that and run the option plays, run it up the middle, work some play action, just whatever you want to do just to kind of get the game rolling and get into a rhythm. I think that would be a good formation to line up in and get yourself into a rhythm. Yeah, I mean, you have a quarterback that excels in the shotgun. You have a running back that excels out of a single back set. You know, the obvious answer you think is to do a high bit of that, get into that pistol. I think that's also a good idea, something that I think, um, you know, we should definitely look into in the offseason. Because at this point, you could throw in maybe a handful of plays. But at this point, you can't do too much to change the overall offense. It's going to stay the same. You can throw in wrinkles, but the, the core of the offense is going to stay the same. But I think it's a great idea to, to run some plays out of the pistol. I think we're a team that's set up to have success in that in, in the pistol with a very fast, <coughs> athletic quarterback and, you know, big physical running backs. You have, like you said, Adoree Jackson as your X factor and wide receivers um, that can do a lot with the ball after the run or after the catch. I think is you know an excellent idea. The pistol would would fit the strengths that we have. Exactly. I'm kind of out now. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, uh, Cody. Cody goes in depth on this topic on his YouTube channel. That's the Blitz Report on YouTube that you can search for. Also, like I said, writer at All Out Sports Network. That's theaosn.com if you want to check out some of his writings. Uh, I know he's a really great writer. His YouTube channel is actually really good, really knowledgeable stuff like he, you know, he showed you tonight. It uh, gets really in-depth with a lot of stuff, uh, so definitely worth checking out both of those things. Cody, thanks for coming on to talk about this, man. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to say about the channel, if you don't mind. Um, I got scouting reports coming out this week, and they're going to be going all the way up to a draft time. I'll be revisiting players more than once to get a better feel for them. And every four weeks, I have mock drafts come out. Week 12 will be the next one. And I do user submissions on the channel. If there's something you want to ask me or you want me to do a video about, I will get you featured and shout out on that video if you just ask me in the comment section there on YouTube. There you go, man. Uh, my first stop, I haven't started my scouting yet since we're still midseason, but I think my first stop when I start my scouting is going to be those videos, Cody. Um, and we'll try to get you on there, do some pre-draft stuff when we get to that point in the season. All right, man. I appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. Another big thanks to Cody for coming on the show. It was a pleasure having him on, and I'm sure it will not be the last time that we have Cody on. Very knowledgeable guy, great writer. Definitely check out his YouTube channel. Probably have him back on when we get into uh, some draft talk later on in the offseason. So let's head into this matchup. 
The four and seven Houston Texans come to Nashville to take on the seven and four Tennessee Titans. Here's an interesting stat for you: Houston is one and four in their last five games. Tennessee is four and one in its last five games. So the exact inverse. But like looking at this game, it should be a game that the Tennessee Titans win. But let's jump into it. First, our offense, first their defense. Houston's rush D is actually surprisingly solid considering the losses they've had on defense this year. You know, J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless, uh, Brian Cushing. I mean, they've lost a lot on that defense and still have been able to have a pretty solid rush uh, defense. 3.8 yards per carry, tied for 7th. This means that they're going to be able to tee off on the run a little bit. You know, they're they're in the top ten, um, you know, f- for rush defenses. We're only slightly better than they are. And everybody knows that listens or watches the Titans. Titans have a pretty good rush D this year. So we need to be able to figure out how to get around that. And, you know, this goes back to the passing to start the run. We just need to do a better job of that. We need to be effective when we do that. Start with a short passing game, get Marcus in a rhythm, and then start taking some shots here and there. Move the ball down the field, take more intermediate shots as he gets more comfortable. That's really the key, is passing to set up the run, uh, because this team hasn't played as well against the pass, for sure. Right now, Houston is 24th in passing yards per game. They're 30th in yards per attempt in the passing game, and they've allowed the second most passing touchdowns. Obviously, not a winning recipe right there in the passing game. So I expect us, like I said earlier, pass to set up the run. We should lean heavy on the pass in this game. It'll benefit us. But we can't neglect the running game. We need to be able to run the football to have success. We know that this is the way this team is built. But I don't think there's anything wrong with coming out, throwing on first down, getting to that second and short, and then punching it for first downs for a while, building that momentum, getting the offense going, getting Marcus in rhythm, and then when you get later in the game, those second and shorts, that's when you fire the long ball. Take a shot downfield, try to get Taewon Taylor over the middle, try to get Corey Davis deep over top. Get in situations where we can have momentum like we don't do that well enough we don't build momentum we have these short drives because of the weird play calling but you need to be able to build that momentum the first couple drives we should be worried about getting first down and that's it and then when you get first down get first down again don't worry about getting to the end zone worry about getting first down and when we build that momentum when Marcus is in rhythm, that's when you worry about getting to the end zone on every play. That's when you worry about you know second and two you throw the long ball early in the game I want us to build that momentum. Second and short, DeMarco Murray you know, up the middle, or Derrick Henry up the middle. Get the first downs, build that momentum, eat some clock. Obviously, is always a winning recipe um, for a, you know, a team that runs the ball as much as we do. And keep our defense off the field. Give them breaks. You know, This defense has played extremely well, but they've spent a crazy amount of time on the field in some of these games, especially in our losses. So get them off the field, get them a break, Build momentum and then go for start going for like kill shots. But you know what? Against this defense, we should be able to air the ball out pretty easily. This might be super obvious, and I know it's going to be. And I don't like picking Marcus as my X factor because it's really obvious. Like your quarterback has to play well for you to win football games. Like no shit. But it is Marcus. Like it has to be Marcus. How well he plays in the beginning and throughout this game is going to be so important to if we do run away with a a victory that we should have or if it is a tight football game and possibly a loss. We have to have him playing well, limiting turnovers, and, and you know having success, building that momentum, getting in rhythm. So even though it's super obvious, Marcus is my X Factor. Moving on to the other side of the football. 
This is a team that obviously after Watson went down, it's completely different. Tom Savage is not a good quarterback. We know that. So stop the run. Force Tom Savage to throw. Force him into situations where he is throwing to Kevin Byard. <laughs> you know, that's perfect. Um, Lamar Miller did go down in the last game. I've seen a lot of people talk about that. But he did, came back later in that game. He is going to play this week. Um, in their passing game, though, they do have weapons. You know, they have uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who is a very good wide receiver. I mean, like one of the best in the league. He is a you know top ten receiver for sure, probably top five. Will Fuller is a great weapon on their offense. He's questionable, but, you know, still probably likely to play. Um, You know, we need to be able to get to Tom Savage. They do have weapons, and Tom Savage is an NFL quarterback. Even though he's bad, he's going to hit open receivers. So we need to be able to put pressure, take some pressure off of this young secondary, put pressure on uh, Tom Savage, and force him into bad passes early in the down, early like we can't have these where we let quarterbacks set for four or five seconds back there. That needs to stop. So again, this is super obvious, but we need to shut down the run. And then when Tom Savage is forced to throw the football, we have to get pressure on him. We have to take some of this pressure off of our secondary. Our secondary is getting better, obviously. With the additions we've made, it's a lot better than it was last year. But we we're still it's our weakness. So we need to be able to to get the pressure up there so we can take some pressure off of the secondary, something we've struggled with this year. Like I said, Tom Savage is going to complete passes when he has five seconds in the pocket, you know, and he's going to complete passes to Kevin Byard when he has three seconds or less. So getting after them. And we have a little bit of help with this. Uh, Chris Clark, their starting left tackle, and Greg Mance, their uh, backup center, are both questionable for this game. It looks likely that they'll both end up playing uh, at this point, you know, still a lot of time before now in uh, game time, but they are banged up along the offensive line. You know, we should be able to take advantage of this. My key X factor pertains to this, and it is the defensive line as a whole. Um, we need to be able to get pressure. One, helping stop the running game. Our defensive line has done a great job of this. Joe Casey, Carl Klug, um, you know, Sylvester Williams, to some extent, have all been gap swallowers, have really stopped their inside running game this year very well. We need to get them to help out getting pressure, though. Uh, and, you know, when we need, when we go after the pass we don't need to blitz every single play. I know we're running a Dick LeBeau defense, but we don't need to blitz every single play. So we need this defensive line to show up and have a good game, help us get pressure. Jarrell Casey needs to be in the backfield. Carl Klug needs to be in the backfield. You know, these guys need to help us out a lot. And so we can get to Tom Savage, make him uncomfortable, and, you know, force him into mistakes. Games when the Texans lose with Tom Savage is games where Tom Savage throws interceptions. So, you know, that is something that we need to do this game. Uh, Our defensive line, I think, is a big key to that. My final prediction for this game is 27-17 Titans. I think we'll get out to a slightly slow start, then we'll start to get that rhythm going as I was talking about, and we'll start to score um, with ease. It shouldn't be an issue for us to score on this defense. They once were a really good defense, but they are declining. They lost a lot of pieces in their secondary. Injury has taken a lot of their front seven out of the out of the mix, so it should be hard for us to move the ball against this Houston defense and put the ball in the end zone. With Jacksonville losing last week, the Tennessee Titans are back in first place in the AFC South. They are the masters of their own destiny. 
They need to win these next three games for sure. We have at home against Houston. Then we go on the road to go to Arizona and San Francisco before that big matchup with the Rams. We need to win those next three games for sure. This puts us in a very good position with them losing. And hopefully, you know, the Jags will continue to be the Jags and lose a couple more in the way, but we can't guarantee that. What we can do is go out and win football games to make sure we stay where we're at so we can win this division and, you know, go in to the playoffs as division winners host at least the first game of the playoffs that's a huge huge first step for us and you know this team becoming a true contenders winning this division hosting a playoff game hopefully winning that game getting into the divisional round and and we'll see from there but this Tennessee Titans team now the ball is in their court you know they have every opportunity in front of them they just have to go out and win games and it starts this week with Houston so as I say each and every week, thanks all of you that listen, all the people that help out too. You know, I, I always leave them out and I always forget about it, but there's so many people in the background that help this show uh, become what it is and, and continue to be, um, you know, pretty damn good. And a big one uh, goes out to Tyler Musson, who puts all of the stuff on YouTube for us. Um, you know, we have a guy here in my neck of the woods, uh, Brad and Brad does a lot of our, our social media stuff, so thanks to Brad, everybody who you know helps out the show. Uh, tremendous thanks to to all of you that make this show possible. Um, and let's go out there, let's kick some Houston ass, and let's get out of here with a win and stay in first place. Tighten up.